Austin Stone, it's such an honor to be with you today. Wherever you're at today, watching this in your home or watching this with your family or friends, I'm just honored to get to be with you today and open up the word with you. Uh, I'm Aaron Ivey. I'm one of the pastors and elders here at the Austin Stone. And last week, Ross kicked off our first week in this series we've called In Times Like These by unpacking what faith in times like these looks like. It was an incredible sermon. And of course, with this beautiful South African accent, everything he says sounds brilliant and incredibly funny. I can, because I know him really well, attest to the fact that he's not very funny. It's just the accent, people, all right? But he is for sure brilliant even without the accent. All of that to say, his sermon was incredible. And if you missed it, you need to go back and listen. This week, I want to build on what he taught us about having faith and talk about what it means to be faithful in times like these. See, there's a difference between having faith and actually being faithful. Many people have faith in something without being faithful to that belief system. But the call of a Christian is to not only have faith in Jesus being the person he says he is, but faithful to the things he tells us to do as we follow him. You know, one of my favorite books in all of the New Testament is the book of Hebrews. It illustrates faithfulness through a picture, the picture of running a race. And I love when the scripture does that. It's so simple, so accessible. Now, I never uh, ran track when I was in high school. I didn't run the Junior Olympics like my wife, Jamie, but I have run two half marathons, which obviously means I've run a full marathon, right? So check it out. This is how Hebrews chapter 12 opens up, and it is stunning. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And what a scene. It's a beautiful scene. And here, the writer was writing to the early church, and there's a, a lot of parallels to our current context, actually. During this time in history, this is about 100 years after the resurrection of Jesus, followers of Jesus were facing all kinds of chaos. Jesus, think about it, he had left the scene, he ascended to heaven, and the early church was still being formed. There were so many fears brewing about their own faith, like how they were supposed to be faithful to Jesus and his way. They were tempted to walk away from the early teachings of Jesus. They couldn't see Jesus with their eyes anymore. And there was just a lot of temptation to just completely abandon following his way altogether. To them, it probably felt a little foggy, like how they were supposed to remain to a faithful God. They couldn't see during a tremendous time of stress and unknown. It sounds really familiar, doesn't it? I mean, maybe now more than ever, it may seem a little foggy in how we are to actually remain faithful to Jesus when things seem so crazy. I mean, right now, think about it. We can't meet in buildings as a church. We can't hug anyone. We can't gather in homes for meals and community. Small groups can't meet up in person once a week for Bible study and prayer. Jobs have been lost. 
bank accounts running dry, and a case for this is one of the loneliest times in our history could totally be made. So how do you and I remain faithful in times like these? I think it's no irony that in Hebrews 12, there's a word that's used five times in just 29 short verses. It's the word endure. It says run with endurance. Endure like Jesus. You must endure. It says don't be like those who could not endure, right? This word five times, it's everywhere in this chapter. You can't get away from the thought that faithfulness in times like these means we have to endure, all right? Endure, Greek word here, it means to bear up under the weight of. It means possessing the power to withstand great pain or great hardship. It's the ability to continue despite stress, agony, or adverse conditions. Now, this is a hard word for us to understand in 2020. I mean, most days it feels like there's nothing but stress, agony, and adverse conditions, right? And honestly, we don't want to bear up under the weight of anything, especially right now. I mean, all of us tend to orient our goals in life to get rid of or avoid anything hard or stressful or painful. We tend to think, hey, if there's anything that's painful, it must not be of God. Or hey, if there's a shortcut around suffering, I want to find a way around it. As Catherine Wolf said, she said, we tend to idolize a pain-free life. She's so right. It's been ingrained in our American lifestyle that a victorious Christian life should be adverse-free. It should be quick, easy, when and how we want it. We don't want to wait for anything. I mean, we think patience is an outdated virtue. We have an app on our phone that lets us get anything we want shipped to us in a matter of hours. Even in a time of quarantine and chaos, I can still get Chick-fil-A dashed to my door in an hour, except on Sundays, right? So a word like endurance, like patiently withstanding great pain or hardship, honestly, it just seems like this out of date, out of touch kind of word. But according to Hebrews, this is the very environment where our faithfulness can be proved genuine. Here's the truth. God, God does not always deliver us from the present moment. Like God is not a DoorDash app. He is not an on-demand service provider. And sometimes he just wants to take us through the present moment, not deliver us from it. He takes us through hard things to teach us something about himself and about us, to teach us how to live to teach us how to endure, to teach us, as the scripture says, to teach us faithfulness. It teaches us how to run a race that will always be laced with agony, stress, and adversity. So here's the thing, this current season that we're all living in, it only highlights what's always been true. We have always needed endurance to run the race that is before us. The only thing that's changed for us in 2020 right now is that we're having to only endure with Jesus. There's nothing else to endure us right now except for Jesus. 
Hebrews is addressing a people that were feeling the same exact things we're feeling today. This seems so hard. This should be easier, right? When is it all going to end? And the Bible says to them, and it says to us today, what you need is not escape from difficulty. What you need is not something easier, not things to get back to normal, but what you need, what you truly need is endurance. Don't stop. Run the race. Keep going, right? So it reminds me of this uh, incredible story that a friend of mine and Jamie, uh, she is an Australian woman, and she told this story in a sermon, and I thought it was just one of the coolest stories I'd ever heard. There's uh, one of the longest mega marathons in the world happens in Australia. It's a 550-mile race all the way from Sydney to Melbourne. Now, I love Australia. It's one of my favorite places in the world. And I've actually flown uh, from Sydney to Melbourne. And I know how long it is, how long it takes to actually fly there. But there's a race that's 550 miles, right, from those two cities. And people train their whole lives for it. It's a five-day race. So you run uh, for four days and four nights, and uh, people, you know, train for years. They get lean for it. They get the right gear for it. When people show up, it's mostly people in like their young twenties, just ready to go. Well, uh, in the mid 1980s, a 61-year-old potato farmer named Cliff Young signed up and said, "I think I'm going to run, and I think I think I'd like to win." This race. He shows up on the scene. He's wearing uh, rain boots. He's wearing like just old baggy pants. He doesn't have running clothes on. He doesn't have running shoes on. And people start to kind of like laugh at him, like make fun of him. Like, dude, what are you doing? Do you understand that this is a for real race? And they would ask him like, why are you doing this? And he says, well, you know, I've been a farmer for my life. I've done a lot of hard things. And so I think I have a shot at winning this thing. The gun goes off. Of course, all the young 20-year-olds blaze ahead, and uh, all these other athletes, what they knew in their training was you run for 18 hours, and then you go off to the side of the road where there's some, some houses to sleep in, and you sleep for six hours, and then you wake up rested, and you go another 18 hours. But Cliff didn't train. Cliff had no idea that these guys were sleeping, and so he's hours behind everybody else, but as all the athletes took their break, he just kept running. He didn't stop. For four days straight, the dude just kept running, and at the end of the race, Cliff Young won first place, and people's minds were blown. They couldn't believe that this 61-year-old potato farmer didn't just win the race, but blew all kinds of world records out of the water. He beat the second place person by nine hours. And there's a couple interviews on uh, BBC, like you can Google it and you can find this so you know that I'm not just making this story up or lying, but they, they put a microphone in his face and they said, how in the world did you do it? And he was just the most plain old simple guy and his answer was this, well, I just didn't stop. I, I didn't know that there was an option to stop and sleep. I just kept going. And that's how we are called to run the race, right? Of you and I just going, I'm just going to keep going. I'm not going to stop. I didn't even know there was an option to take a stop. And man, I cannot help but think that that's kind of what the writer of Hebrews was envisioning as he wrote this. And he didn't have Cliff, the Australian megathon, mega marathon winner in mind, but 
he certainly had the Roman Olympic Games in mind, where all the different tribes of Greece gathered in coliseums and venues to watch athletes compete in races. You know, competitors trained for years, crowds cheered, winners were declared as they crossed the finish line. And this image is what Hebrews gives as an illustration to the Christian life. I love that the scripture doesn't just say, now you go run, but it says, let us run. There's a plural nature to running the race of the Christian faith. And I want you to know today you cannot run this race alone. You know, maybe God is using this quarantine to make us realize more than ever our need for community, to not forsake gathering together. Maybe some of us took it lightly. Maybe I did, right? Like maybe we've thought it's optional or an add-on, but that uneasiness, that, that feeling you've had for the last month or so, you know what that is? It's grief. Like it's it's sadness. Your soul is grieving the loss of us being able to gather physically as God's people. And I want you to know that even in the middle of quarantine, where it feels like you're running alone, hear this, you are not alone. Even as you watch this on service, online service today, you are joined with tens of thousands of people from nearly 100 countries watching this same exact sermon, worshiping the same risen Jesus. Listen, it is hard to back out of a race when you know you're running alongside somebody else. Maybe now more than ever, you need to dig into online community. Like invest deeper in the family or the roommates you live with. Spur each other along, as the scripture says, because you are not alone today. Also love in this passage how grandiose Hebrews reminds us that the Christian life truly is. You know, not only are you called to run the race with people while you're here on the earth, but we're reminded that we are also surrounded by a cloud of witnesses, as the scripture says. See, in a um, mysterious and profound way, this cloud of witnesses it refers to all the faithful followers of Jesus that have gone before us, thousands and thousands of them, like peering down from heaven, like spectators watching an arena. The scripture gives us this picture of them like eagerly watching from heaven, rooting us on, right? Rooting us on as we're running the same race that they ran, cheering us on saying, keep going brothers and sisters, it's worth it. You've never been alone, trust me. The race is worth it because the grand prize you're getting is Jesus and it's worth it. See, if you are a believer today, not only can you endure, but you will endure because you have Jesus on your side. Listen, the, the race you're running, it, it's way more important than the longest mega marathon in the world. The prize you're aiming for is, is more costly than Cliff's $10,000 reward he got or his worldwide fame. You are running for the prize of knowing and seeing the risen Savior, Jesus. So let us run the race. Don't stall out. Don't slow down. All right. So there are four things 
that pop out in Hebrews 12 that I want to highlight for you, and then I want to give you some practical application along the way. We'll cruise through these quickly. Four things the passage tells us to do to remain faithful in times like these. The first is this, lay aside every weight. Lay aside every weight. Read it again with me real quickly. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight. Listen, you cannot finish the race if you are weighed down. No long distance runner uh, wins by carrying around weights or being overdressed or bulking up. If anything, runners are, are trying to be lighter and freer because everybody knows that to win a race, you have to lay aside everything. There are really specific things that you and I need to lay aside right now in this coronavirus season. Like some things you need to lay down today are straight up old school, like just sinning, right? And we'll talk about that in just a second, but there's a kind of weight that we carry around that might not be sin in its purest form, but can certainly lead us towards sin and can absolutely weigh us down in this race. All right, quick side note, full disclosure, most of my stories today uh, involve Australians or Australia uh, because I love them so much. So we're just going to keep going down that track. All right. A few years ago, I was in Australia with Austin Stone Worship. Long story short, we were leading for an event. We do it every two years and we just, we love the people. We love the country. And I was really looking forward to it. It was this amazing event. And the first day I got there, I started to feel just different. I started to feel off, I started to feel sick. I started getting this pain uh, in my, my chest and my back. And Within a few days, uh, I, it was clear to me and the doctors that I went to see that I had gotten shingles. And I had never gotten shingles before. I didn't even know anybody that had gotten shingles before. But if you know anything about shingles, it's one of the most painful things ever. And my shingles went from the center of my chest all the way to the center of my back. And so I was quarantined, ironically, into a Australian hotel room for seven days, completely missed the event. Jaleesa McCreary, amazing worship leader, she just did the whole conference and I just laid there and, and was in the most miserable pain I'd ever been in. When I finally got home, right, after the excruciating flight home, I went to a doctor here in Austin and he told me this. He said, Aaron, there's only two reasons why a guy in his late 30s would ever get shingles. One, you have a broken immune system, which you do not, or two, and this is what he said, he said, two, you are carrying a weight that you were never meant to carry. And he nailed it. I don't know if he was a believer, and I don't know if he knew much about my life, but I knew that I was carrying a weight of anxiety, anxiety and fear and worry that I was never meant to carry. And in that moment, I knew, and my physical body was literally telling me, Aaron, you cannot carry things you weren't meant to carry without buckling from the pressure. Oh man, do you, do you know how freed up God wants you to be to run this race without the weight you weren't meant to carry? Like to lay aside all the things that you worry about that you can't change. All the fear of the unknown, doubts about the future, loneliness, guilt. I don't know what it is for you, but some of you are carrying around immense weight that you were never ever meant to carry. Maybe, maybe it's the perceived weight of taking care of everybody around you. 
Maybe you find yourself, like me at times, being the happy police at home, right? Exhausting yourself, trying to make sure everybody's happy all the time, making sure the kids are productive and educated and creative and not turning into a mindless pile of goo from all the video games. Or maybe you're not the happy police, but you find yourself being the salvation police, like convincing yourself that your unbelieving friends and family might not know Jesus if somehow you don't do enough or say enough or be enough during the season. Maybe you're carrying the weight of how to pay your bills, where your next job's gonna come from, since the one you had, you might not ever get back. Maybe you're weighed down right now with the deepest feelings of loneliness and depression that you've ever experienced. Listen, all of those things are very real things. And most of them, you have zero power to fix on your own. But you need to hear me today. You belong to Christ Jesus, who heals blind people and breathes life into dead bones and comforts the forgotten and sits with the lonely and sees the tattered and bruised and he bandages their wounds, both physical and emotional. He's the one who has written every single day of your story, including the day you lost your job including the day you received that dreadful phone call about a sick family member. He's the same one that turns something little into something more. He's the one that has no worry about your future, but he stands above time and he sees you as you're gonna be when you're 80 or 90 years old. And hear this, he is not anxious or worried about a single thing. He's got you, he's got this. Jesus was able to carry the burden of sin from the whole world on his shoulders when he took on the cross. I mean, he endured that, and then he rose again from death and darkness. It cost him everything to carry every burden in the world and every burden of yours. So church, throw those burdens back where they belong on Jesus because Jesus is more than able and happy and willing to carry all of them for you. See, those burdens, they've never been worth the labor that they cost us. And now that you've been called to run the race, you've, you've got to lay them down. Uh, what, what weight, what weight do you um, need to lay aside today, this week? Think about it. You probably already know what I'm talking about because the Spirit is waking you up as He's woken me up this week writing this sermon. Trust me, I know it's extremely difficult, complex, and weird to let some of those things go, but it will eat you up and it will steal all of your joy if you don't lay aside every weight. You cannot be faithful without laying aside every single weight you weren't meant to carry. All right, second thing, second thing, the scripture points out for us to remain faithful is this. It says, looking to Jesus. Hebrews 12, one. Let me just read it one more time. One and two. Therefore, since we are surrounded, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. In every race, it matters which direction you're running. And the only way to make it to the finish line is to keep your eye on it. I mean, this sounds like so simple, right? 
I know it sounds just ridiculous that I'm even telling you this, but this is where a lot of us get off, right? If you look to your left or you look to your right, you can't run in a straight line. You don't win by watching the competition or waving to the crowd. You have to have a fixed mark in front of you to guide you in the right direction. My 16 year old son, Caden, he's awesome. He's learning how to drive. And if you remember when you were first driving, it's like 10 and two on the wheel, eyes peeled to the road in front of you. There's no texting, there's no radio, there's no talking. Just absolute fear and dread that if you don't keep your eyes on the road, there's no way you're gonna be able to control a car moving at 60 miles per hour, right? That's the wisdom here in Hebrews. Run the race by looking straight ahead, undistracted to Jesus. Looking to Jesus is the solution for wandering to the left and swerving to the right. And looking to Jesus means you also get something, like you get guidance, direction, you get life, you get light, you get joy along the way, no matter what road bump or adversity comes along the way. All right, there's something really cool in the original language of this New Testament um, passage here. Uh, This was originally written in Greek, right? And the word um, for looking here in in this passage is a much fuller word in Greek than it is in English. Like when I say, hey guys, look over there, it means to take a look, right? Look over here, look over there. But in the original language, it implies something deeper. It implies looking away from everything else as you look towards this. Man, really simply put, looking to Jesus means looking away from everything else except for Jesus as you run. Like, don't fix your gaze on the crowds heckling or cheering. They will hinder you if you look away from Jesus. Don't look to the things that are weighing you down. They make you look away from Jesus. Look to Jesus alone. You have to have a singular eye, an eye for Jesus. Another cool word here in the original language is the word translated in English, to, all right? Look to Jesus. Now, before you think I'm some, you know, sort of like language nerd, I swear I'm not, all right? But this is really cool. So track with me here on this. The word originally meant at, but has the force of saying into. Look at, but into Jesus. We are not called to just look at Jesus, but we're called to look into Jesus. It is so easy to watch Jesus, to study Jesus, or to think Jesus was just a great guy. But a Christian is called to more. A Christian's called to look into Jesus. So don't read volumes about his life and work without getting to know his heart. Jesus is inviting you into seeing the depths of his own heart. He's saying, here I am, all of me. I'm holding nothing back from you. He doesn't want to just be seen by you, but he wants to be known by you. Maybe now more than ever, you have the opportunity to get to know the person of Jesus in a way you never have before. And there's no guilt, there is no shame that could ever keep you from knowing him as a friend. Some of you need to hear this today. If you're lonely in this season, find Jesus to be the truest and closest friend you've ever known. If you're lacking wisdom, find him to be the smartest and wisest friend you could find. If you're lacking faith, find him to be the kindest author and perfecter of your faith. 
You just have to look into him, not just at him. Philippians 3.8 is one of my favorite verses. It says, I count all things in loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus. You have the opportunity to know Jesus. And every bit of your strength to keep running forward will only come from Jesus. He's right there. He's not far off. He's not hard to find. He's not distant, but he's right there in front of you, drawing you closer and closer to the finish line of your race. So look to him. Thirdly, I see this in the passage of remaining faithful. And it's this, it's the call to be holy, to be holy. Check out what it says just a few verses later, starting in verse 14. It says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. See to it that no one is sexually immoral or unholy. Listen, you, you cannot be faithful without striving for holiness. I don't know about you guys, but man, I find myself, I have struggled with so many things over these six weeks of isolation. I mean, honestly, Candidly, I've been tempted with all kinds of old sin patterns that I thought were gone. Like I've struggled to be at peace with my kids and my wife and my friends. There are times where I've become bitter about not being able to work in the same way or being unable to simply go to the grocery store without wearing a mask, right? I've questioned, I've questioned why God would take a friend of mine's family member home after dying from COVID-19. And the pursuit of holiness, man, it's, it's just harder when the bend in the race gets tougher. This is where we find ourselves right now. This is the, the worst time in, in history, maybe, right? Our current history, the worst time in the world who, for my friends who are addicts or are recovering addicts. This is when the demons of the past and the overwhelming pressure of the present have caused uh, so many of my friends to wander back to their addictions or enter into new ones they didn't see coming. Uh, for my friends who struggle with loneliness or depression, this, this makes it worse. It brings out more temptation. It brings out more of an option to stop fighting for holiness. Maybe that's you too. Maybe alcohol has become something you've numbed your days and your nights with. Maybe secret sins have become full-on addictions. Um, your nights plagued with haunting desires and urges you never thought you'd experience. Your loneliness has hurled you into all kinds of sins that you now feel so far gone that it's impossible to come running back, back to Jesus. Maybe it's pornography for you. As a believer who has experienced freedom from a long-time addiction to pornography, I can totally see how a season like this one can bring it all back up for so many men and women who have experienced victory in the past. Or maybe it's even kickstarted a new habit that you never even thought possible. You know, I recently read that um, the largest porn website in the world has seen double the amount of traffic in its already insanely high traffic history. More hits last month than Amazon, Twitter, and Instagram combined. 
Many of them are offering free subscriptions as a way of serving people during this stress-induced season. Man, the, the availability and opportunity and socially permissiveness of porn has meant many of you have been lured into something so secretive that not even your closest friend knows about. But you need to hear this today. You cannot run this race with secret sins tangling up your feet. Like you cannot be faithful without fighting with everything you've got against a real enemy that wants to kill, steal, and destroy you. Charles Spurgeon, old preacher from London in the 1880s said this, we hope to see all of our sin tendencies killed and buried, buried so deep that not even a bone of sin shall be left above the ground. Hear this, he says, we cannot win heaven and wear sin. Guys, right now is the time to go to war against whatever sin is tangling you up. Like, what's your darling sin Charles Spurgeon talks about? You know, the, the one that you kind of like to keep around and, and coddle every once in a while. That one has to go. They all have to go. Every kind of sin must be looked out for. It must be fought against. It, it's got to be mastered. The scripture promises that sin will not have any dominion over you, believer. So today, get it out in the open. Like some of you need to repent of uh, the sin of racism in a season where it seems okay to accuse a, a country or a people group for this virus, of, as so many people have ignorantly done online. Confess, repent. Some of you today, you need to end a text conversation with a coworker or a friend that's just gone too far. Some of you need to repent for harboring bitterness against a boss that furloughed you. Um, you may need to go to war against alcohol, abstaining from it for a while. Some of you Christians that experience same-sex attraction and have been warring for holiness for years, but now that you're in isolation, have become more lonely and, and moved towards sin, don't allow yourself to move towards sin. Be honest, we love you. Stay the course, keep fighting. I grieve, honestly, church, with all of you because we are the body of Christ and I know there are deep, deep struggles out there. So today, be holy. Like download covenant eyes on your computer. Uproot bitterness and resentment. Ask for forgiveness for not being a peacemaker. FaceTime a friend and just be honest and cry out to God who hears you and just tell him, God, I need you. Listen, there is no sin that can keep God from loving you. There's no addiction that God cannot break through. There is no secret desire that God does not see. There's no pattern he cannot disrupt. There's nothing, there's nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ Jesus. So if you've wandered into something you think right now is totally impossible for you to get out of, look to Jesus and man, just see he's right there. He's ready to untangle you from the most impossible sin. And then with your untangled feet, get back in the race, get back in the race and run with faithfulness. All right, last thing. Fourthly, faithfulness in times like these, it means we must embrace the shaking. 
Embrace the shaking. Here's how Hebrews chapter 12 ends. And as I read this, it's gonna sound a little bit weird at first, but I think you'll find it to be something incredibly beautiful and encouraging, and then we'll be done. It says this, in starting in verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him, who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And this phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. You know, God is speaking today. God's speaking a word to us today. He's spoken a word to me today. And the word he's speaking is this loving reminder to run the race. You know, when Jesus was on the earth, he too uh, lovingly warned those around him to hope and trust and run towards him alone. But many rejected him. I mean, even, even while he took on the cross, disbelief and a refusal to follow him and trust him was all some people responded with. Then with his final breath, the scripture says in the gospels, it says that the earth literally shook. But even with the whole earth shaking, the kingdom of God could not be shaking. See, sometimes shaking is necessary to reveal the things that can't ever be shaken. I think of a gold miner back in the day. They'd spend their days shoveling just normal old dirt into these large flat metal pans, right, with holes on the bottom. And then with a couple of intense movements, they'd shake and they'd sift and all the things that could be shaken out, the, the dirt, the, the sand that didn't belong, it would shake away and it would vanish and finally reveal what they were really after, gold. The shaking revealed to them what couldn't be shaken through the pan. It was a prize that made all of their work, all the digging, all the time, all the shaking worth it because they had gold. Listen, we're in a shaking season. You have been shaken. And as the loving hand of God shakes your life, man, a lot has been removed. You've seen things in your life fall through the holes. You've seen future plans sift through the pan. Vacations have canceled. High school prom's not on the calendar anymore. Who knows when you're gonna be able to get your long-awaited driver's license or your college diploma. You have watched security and promise and dreams and what you thought could be trusted things in your life fall through the cracks. We talk about running a race, but sometimes it feels a little bit more like limping along, right? Hardly running, but there's an absolute promise in the scripture that there is something that can never be shaken from you. There is something that will always remain. There's a kingdom and there's a king that can never fall through the cracks or be removed. Church, as, as you embrace the shaking, in times like these, God will do what he promises. He will reveal to you 
what's always been true. <laughs> Sometimes he just needs to remove some of the dusty rocks so you can see the greatest treasure that anybody's ever known. And that treasure has a name and his name is Jesus and nothing will change him. Nothing will disrupt him. Nothing will tarnish him. He is infinitely more costly than gold. He is more beautiful and more trustworthy and more near than anything you've ever known. So don't be surprised by the shaking as if something strange is happening to you. The shaking is its actually a, a beautiful thing. It's something every Christian should expect if we're counting the cost of following him and running the race with faithfulness. I love this beautiful quote by Brennan Manning. Uh, it's from a book called Ragamuffin Gospel. And I think it just highlights really well what an, a disciple, what a follower of Jesus looks like. It says this, the biblical image of the victorious life reads more like the victorious limp. Jesus was victorious, not because he never flinched, talked back, or questioned, but having flinched, talked back, and questioned, he remained faithful. What makes authentic disciples is not visions, ecstasies, biblical mastery of chapter and verse or spectacular success, but a capacity for faithfulness. Buffeted by the fickle winds of failure, battered by their own unruly emotions and bruised by rejection and ridicule, authentic disciples may have stumbled and frequently fallen, endured lapses and relapses, wandered into a far country, yet they kept coming back to Jesus. Listen, there is nothing that can hold you back from running the race that's set before you because you are a child of God. And when you go to him, he will never be like, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what sifting and shaking and suffering feels like. Listen, Jesus knows the ultimate shaking. Jesus experienced loneliness like you. Jesus experienced sorrow Jesus experienced loss and temptation and bruising and rejection. He knows what shaking feels like. So go running back to him. He's got you. Church, keep going. Run the race. Lay aside every weight. Look to Jesus. Be holy. Embrace the shaking. Then we'll all get to heaven. That glorious finish line we're running toward. And we'll get to see Jesus with our eyes the author and perfecter of our faith. And he'll lovingly say to us, just like he said to every single believer that's gone before us, welcome home. It was all worth it. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Let me pray for you today. God, I pray that your word today would push us and compel us and challenge us to keep running the race that's before us. For my friends, for my church here, God, I pray that you would do that work. By the power of your Holy Spirit, would you produce faithfulness in us? We love you, Jesus. Thank you for being so good to us, so kind to us that we could look to you, that we could run to you over and over again. Jesus, we thank you. We praise you today. It's in your name I pray. Amen.